Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. Let me welcome Professor Veta Sanders-Thompson here to the Madison Show, Professor of Racial and Ethnic Diversity at the Washington University Brown School of Social Work. And, and Professor, thank you so much for being with us. Um, this is about Henrietta Lacks. Uh, explain her story for my listeners who have not heard about her before. Okay. So Henrietta Lacks was an African-American woman. Um, She was poor. She went to John Hopkins Hospital. Um, She was bleeding, um, in pain, and as it turns out, she had cervical cancer, but it was stage four and advanced by the time she presented to the hospital. Now, as they were attempting to um, understand what was going on with her, they took cells, and um, although they could not treat her, the cancer was too advanced that she died at a young age, I don't think she was more than 31, um, she, her cells um, turned out to be quite useful. People in the lab began to notice, or the physician began to notice these cells survive in a way that normal cell, normal human cells do not. They continue to live and replicate and live and replicate. Most human cells, once outside the body, after a period of time, will die. So these cells became invaluable to research on diseases, um, treatments, um, developing vaccines, and they were shipped around the world and have been used in countless labs to do all kinds of research that has benefited um, not just American society, but communities around the world. Now, Professor uh, uh, Thompson, did they get permission from her? Did they get permission from her family members? And that becomes a part of the story that has become troubling. She was not made aware that those cells were being taken. She did not give consent. She certainly didn't give consent for them to be used in research or studied in any way. Her family was never notified until about the 70s, and they never gave permission and consent. And then the other troubling thing is that um, over time, the cells acquired a monetary value, and that accrued to everyone but the family members. And, of course, she couldn't benefit because she was deceased. Um, and the family was poor. Um, access to health care was limited, as it had been for her. And we're talking probably, I mean, millions and millions of dollars uh as uh, that the research resulted in, am I correct? You're correct. And and go ahead. And what I was going to say is, um, I think what the public has to understand is it's never been clear to me, despite how troubling this is, it's never been clear to me that had she known and pressed this case, or had her family known and pressed this case they would have ever accrued any financial benefit because the few cases where researchers have taken um, cells from the human body, been able to use them to advance research and eventually do what we call monetize them, they have not, the courts have not given um, those 
un, what we might call unwilling participants <laughs> um, any um, compensation. Recall, compensation or recourse. They have held that once your cells are taken out of your body for clinical treatment, you no longer have any sort of property rights. Um, and as long as you um, provided informed consent for the clinical procedure, uh, you are fully, you're protected. Well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of us, even today, uh, in this modern era, we are often asked, are we not, to fill out, uh, to sign consent forms. Yes, Aren't we? I tell people, read those consent forms. <laughs> you will find them coming up in different ways. Yes. So some say, are you willing to consider future research? Um, and if you, if you answer yes, we'll contact you. Some say, you are consenting to treatment. We may take human cells and specimens. Um, future researchers may use these or share these with other researchers. And if you sign that commit consent, that happens, and you will never know about it, uh, but you consented to it. So you really need to read and see what are you consenting to. Yeah, and those cells and can be sent off to a laboratory. That laboratory can do research. And as you say, then they monetize it. In other words, they make money off of it, and it's gone. And there's nothing you really, no, there's very little legal recourse you have. My guest is Professor Veda Sanders-Thompson, who is Professor of Racial and Ethnic Diversity at Brown School of Social Work, Washington University. And we're talking about uh, Henrietta Lacks. As a matter of fact, there's been documentaries done on this and and uh, a movie um now let me ask the, the the what's the the racial factor of 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 this um i think it it, it follows from a long line of research where african americans um have been involved or or recruited to or used in research without their knowledge. Now, this case is a little different than some of the other cases um, because people provided, they they agreed to participate or provided some sort of consent in some of these cases, um, but that, that consent was not fully informed. In this case, there was no consent, although she did consent to treatment, and that becomes the key. Um, but I think that what it points to is that individuals who are marginalized, come from marginalized communities, um, and that can occur in different way, ways, whether we're African-American or other people of color, whether we're low income, whether we are less well-educated and less able to understand or grasp what's happening, um, you're more likely to find situations where things have happened. Although I also warn people, we have documentation of research with similar troubling features for members of communities that would not necessarily be thought of in this way. And so I don't want to make people so leery that they don't participate in research that can be beneficial to them, their family, or community, or the society at large. But I think people have to understand the research enterprise, their rights, and then be very thoughtful about what they want to participate in and what they do not, under what conditions, and ask questions. questions yeah. Ask every question yeah. you have. 
Yeah, because it can be a slippery slope either uh, either way. You're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, you know, we we've done shows, for example, on sickle cell research. Well, you know, that's something we as African Americans and Mediterranean uh, people they have to participate in. It, it, we're dependent upon that if they, we want to find a cure. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, but you can get people who will say, well, no, I don't trust any research. And that could stymie uh, a lot of advancements that are, are made, or even with cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer, because when you look at the, the impact, particularly on African Americans and other minorities, if there's anything we rank number one in, isn't it usually <laughs> these kinds of diseases? Absolutely. And, and the reality is, if we are not participating in research in numbers at least proportional to our percent in the population, if there are effects of treatments, if there are outcomes that are going to be negative to us because of specific um, genetic mutations, um, biological profiles that are more common um, in our communities than in others, those may be overlooked. They may not be, um, the medical community may not be aware of those. And then um, the treatments um, available to us and their effectiveness may not be that of other communities. The only way to solve this is to have participation. But what I understand is that participation has to be informed. And, and, and on the other side, I say to my research colleagues, you have to respect the community regardless of where they stand in the societal hierarchy. You have to have respect not only for particular communities, but for every individual's dignity and autonomy. And that respect is what is fundamental to conducting the type of research that is beneficial and avoiding those harms that have come from some past studies. Professor Sanders Thompson, so let's close by something I read where I think someone wrote uh, or, or said that Henrietta Lacks, who we're talking about, is the mother of modern medicine. In other words, one, why, why do you say that? And two, here is a, 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 a young, poverty-stricken African-American woman that had what kind of impact on, on the world? You know, it is estimated she has saved countless lives. And the reason they say she's the mother of modern medicine, many of the advances with vaccines and, um, you know, treatment of smallpox, uh, eradicating that disease, um, advances in the treatment of um, cancers and things of that nature could not have taken place without her special and unique sales that to this day it's not fully comprehended how or why those cells were are able to function the way that they do and so you know you cannot discount how far we've come because she lived um, and those cells were discovered and um, I think we all owe her a debt. This world owes her a debt. All right. Professor uh, Sanders Thompson, thank you so much for being on The Madison Show. Appreciate 
your lecture. Appreciate your time. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again, I'm certain. Thank you for having me. Okay. We have breaking news right now. The family of Henrietta Lacks has reached a settlement over the use of the so-called HeLa cells. The family is set to hold a news conference later this morning on what would have been Lacks's 103rd birthday. They originally sued Thermo Fisher back in 2021 over the use of Lacks's cells for medical research. We will, of course, have much more on this breaking news story throughout the morning here on air and streaming on CBS News Baltimore. Your cells. Wow. Breaking. Listen, listen, everybody. So, so civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump, who, by the way, is the family's legal team. And, and as he said, this is about genetic justice. So, so as you heard the professor say, you know, um, Henrietta went to John Hopkins now, this is back 1951, had cer cervical cancer treatment, and it was stage four. It was stage four. And uh, and the doctors, as she, you heard her say, they, they realized she was dying. She didn't make it. But her cells, listen, her cells doubled every 20 to 24 hours hours. Now, this is unique. No other human being on the planet has had that, you know, that, as that happened to. And, and, and HeLa cells, that's why they nicknamed it. Because here's the deal. It played a crucial role in medical advancements. They never got permission from the family, or from her, from her. So the cells were taken, and, 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 and to this day, are still being used for research, as you just heard, including vaccine, now get this, and cosmetics. The HeLa cells, but am I, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? were used in the development of polio vaccine, treatments for certain cancers, hold on, HIV AIDS, come on, leukemia, and Parkinson's disease. These companies made billions, billions. And, and, and what they did was they, they basically took her cells from her body. As the granddaughter said, like she was a lab rat in an experiment. That's what they did. This is, a. am going to tell you something, this is major. 2023. Boy, and, it, and by the way, I'm so glad we were on the air. I'm so glad we were on the air. 
and it just so happened to be our history fact for the first hour this morning. Let me give a caller a chance to go go ahead. Who is this? Alpha Myers. Go right ahead, quickly. Um, put this in the history book, Ron DeSantis, that a black female gene, the helo, helps solve so many health problems. Thank you. Put that in the history book. That's that's the call that's the call I want. You're absolutely right. Mr. DeSantis, put that in the history books. You're absolutely 100% right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can listen to yours truly, Madison the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.